Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Autosport International, live at the NEC. Come to Autosport International as we celebrate 70 years of the Italian supercar legend, Ferrari. Get up close to an amazing array of race and road cars. Meet motorsports legends, including Red 5 himself, Nigel Mansell. And there's more, much, much more. Don't miss Autosport International, live at the NEC on the 13th and 14th of January. Book online at autosportinternational.com. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the 2017-18 Formula E season and ask if anyone can stop Lucas Degrassi and Audi. The fourth season of Formula E gets underway with a doubleheader in Hong Kong this weekend. The championship getting ever bigger. We've got some new drivers coming in, ever more manufacturer involvement. So plenty to look forward to. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to preview the 2017-18 Formula E season, first is Scott Mitchell, our Formula E correspondent. We're at the point of the year where motorsport is kind of fading away. So are you ready to leap into action while the rest of the racing world is falling asleep? Oh, I'm always ready. I remember... Like a coiled spring. Absolutely. I remember back when I first started covering Formula E, which was for the 2015-16 season. Um, it was quite a late call for me to start covering it. And I actually went from... I finished covering British Touring Cars at Brands Hatch 
and then I filed like my season review and stuff like that the last couple the couple of days after and then packed my bags and went to Beijing on the Thursday so I like I just finished like a seven month season and then went straight into the next one which ran until the following July. <laughs> well I'd say that's a very thoughtless piece of management by whoever made you do that. My second guest is a driver who's been testing Formula E over the off season. Now I think I've given him slightly big build up there and you're gonna be a little bit disappointed it's not a, a genuine Formula E driver but Glenn Freeman Autosport.com editor. Now Glenn you tested the DS Virgin Formula E car not so long ago People may have seen some of the, the articles appearing in the magazine and online and the motorsport TV segment. But what I want to know is why did you not translate that into a full-time race seat? I don't see you on the entry list. Well, discussions are ongoing about a possible mid-season uh, driver swap. I think uh, Felipe Massa is going to be sniffing around for a drive in the series, but I'm in front of him in the queue. Uh, so the way I look at it, if Richard Branson could be an official reserve driver for DS Virgin, then I've got half a chance. And Sam Bird did promise me that the team would make me an offer of £2 to drive for them. So I'm just waiting for the paperwork to come through. That would make you about the 100th highest paid racing driver in the world, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, so that's not too bad. I'd say that if you sign this management deal now and you bring me a couple of million euros, I reckon I can get you a full-time simulator role. I want a cut a as well because obviously my gammy elbow only was the only reason Glenn got his Formula E test chance because I passed it up. So you're both pitching for a cut of my £2 deal when it comes through? I'll take Send 50%. Ed, take 50%. And you just enjoy the luxury of being a professional racing driver. I mean, Scott have just formed a management company now. There you go. We need to improve I'm our client to be base. your first client. We yeah. really need to be better. <laughs> now, getting down to things, Scott, pre-season buzz seems to be that Audi coming in as a full works operation without is going to make Lucas de Grassi a runaway champion. Justified? I hope so, because I'm the one that's been saying it. Um, they were very, very good in pre-season testing. Um, the, the thing about last season with de Grassi winning the driver's title was he... He, he didn't luck his way into the title, but he absolutely wasn't the wasn't the fastest package, the grassy and apt. But Audi taking it over and making it the full works operation with that comes all of the investment and brain power that that was so successful in LMP1 for Audi. Obviously, that program has now ceased. Uh, when it came to testing, they weren't the quickest in terms of one lap pace. It was really, really close. There was maybe a tenth between four or five teams. Um, so that looks like the qualifying battle will be crazy close. But what was really interesting was on, on long runs, uh, Degrassi and, and Daniel Apt as well. So it wasn't just Lucas. Uh, they were comfortably clear, like you're talking more than between half a second and a second on average per lap quicker than other teams over a race stint. I'm always told, regardless of the series, not to read too much into testing. There are these caveats and blah, blah, blah. But given the spread between all of the other teams and the fact that everyone was saying no 15 laps around Valencia that's your race stint blah 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 like the the performance was too real basically to to ignore and not try and not draw at least something of a conclusion from it Scott how does that kind of advantage if it materializes in the first race weekend how does that compare to some of the performance advantages we've seen from uh, Sebastian Buemi and the Renault Edam squad over the last couple of seasons because there were times and I think last season it'd be fair to say as well where Buemi's actual advantage was was pretty huge and it's really through circumstances whether it was luck or clever work from other teams or mistakes from Buemi and, and Edams that really let people like Degrassi back into the picture but was the Renault advantage as big as the advantage you think you've seen from Audi in pre-season? The only time I've seen anything that looks as close as this is the first and last races of the 2015-16 season. That was the first season the Formula opened up the powertrain war, motor, gearbox and inverter. And we went to Beijing, which was really, really long lap. I can't remember exactly, but maybe one minute, 40 seconds or something. And um, Buemi was... 
to like a second clear and and every and I spoke to Alan Prost on the um after the first after practice had finished and he, he he genuinely said there is no reason for us to be this far ahead like he didn't understand it no one understood it and that actually ended up being the fact that they'd not only had they put together a very good very efficient powertrain but they'd also absolutely nailed the other fundamental racing dynamics so they'd got a very good setup the damper settings were spot on that that sort of thing and it just the the layout of the Beijing circuit with the way the chicanes led onto really long straights it just it, everything kept paying them back and then over the rest of the season they had an advantage but then it wasn't until we got to another really long circuit which was Battersea at the end of the season that again Boemi was on pole for the season finale uh, by by a second and that was compared to his own teammate but last season they were it was the quickest package the majority of the time but there were it was close enough that went to Berlin and Mahindra and Felix Rosenqvist were, were were genuinely the quickest. Boemi obviously missed New York, but in New York, DS Virgin claimed uh, claimed pole with Alex Lynn on his debut on day one, and Sam Bird won both races. So, over the last two seasons, there has been a, quite a significant compression at the front, and certainly there was nothing in pre-season the previous two years that made you go, made you think, oh, they're they're miles in the clear. How big a part is Audi really committing to this as a full-on works team? made in that have they had such a big impact in such a short time oh yeah it's all Audi Look, uh, you speak to the guys at Apt who, who did a really good job over the first two seasons they worked with longtime technical partner Schaeffler to make not, it wasn't a bad powertrain and this was a thing when that Buemi was always getting really funny about in the second season when he eventually won the title was Degrassi was constantly saying oh his powertrain's way better than mine his car's way better than mine but they were still the second best team then and they were the second or third best team throughout the majority of last season so it wasn't bad but the way the app guys put it is that they started life in Formula E not knowing anything about electric powertrains and and that sort of energy recovery technology that sort of thing that you know, apt is a brilliant race team but they're not a manufacturer they don't build engines and motors and stuff like that audi's got way more resource to throw at it but they've also got the brain power from the lmp1 stuff and the hybrids and that sort of thing they've got loads of people within the company that they can that they can take knowledge from the the knowledge of the the lmp1 guys is so significant that when they shut down the lmp1 project Audi was hoping that they might be able to draft X number of people into the Formula E program and they actually ended up losing these tech guys to the road car program and the electric cars and hybrids because they're that intelligent. So what they've done is they've basically been able to put the financial investment into the powertrain so they can do everything they want to do. So, you know, your materials that you use that were suddenly too expensive and no longer expensive. Plus, you've got the brain power to actually identify the best parts that you can improve. So it's just a... it just small small gains in a lot of areas but because they were working maybe a little bit hamstrung before the impact looks a lot greater than than it, it probably should have been so does this essentially allow apt to retain its involvement but go back to maybe what it specializes in which is being a race team you know apt for a long time now has been basically audi's works dtm team and they've done a phenomenal job in there they've, they've led the charge for audi for a long time and over time audi has been able to bring up the level of its other teams as well so apt hasn't really necessarily needed to be the standout professional outfit on its own can they now narrow can the race team narrow its focus purely back to racing operations is that how you see it working with Audi or what did you see in testing yeah I think so I think that's a very fair way to put it it's kind of like um, I think they were kind of doing a a bit of a dual role they were trying to be the crack race team only focusing on race team but also oh they're also developing a powertrain and doing all of this engineering research and software development behind the scenes uh, we saw it a little bit over the last season because Audi took on a little bit more responsibility. There was a bit more sort of 
um, cooperation between Apt and Audi. Um, but it's still very much an, an apt Schaeffler powertrain. And basically, the way the way it's worked is they've got some more Audi uh, data engineers embedded within the team. Uh, Daniel App's got a new race engineer, which I think is Nico Muller's DTM race engineer. And one of the significant changes is going to be Lucas Degrassi's race engineer, who was the apt technical director, Franco Giacchetti. And I, I may have pronounced that terribly. Um, he was one of those people doing a dual role he was Degrassi's race engineer but he was also the technical director of the team so he was overseeing I guess responsibility for the powertrain um, he had been moved into a head of track operations role for the coming season which obviously tells you all you need to know about Audi coming in and sort of yeah. putting their own people in the right places and Franco's actually leaving so he after the first two or three races he'll be gone uh, we don't know where and we don't know exactly why but he, he will be heading off so that integration of Audi people into the team, Apt will definitely be specialising more as a race team now. Let Audi focus on what they're good at and Apt can focus on what they're good at, which is knowing how Formula E works, you know, absolutely smashing the car swap for this season and then whatever happens thereafter. All those little bits of knowledge that they've got is going to going to pay dividends and Audi will then hope that they can then take off all of the pressure on the R&D side. So we talked a lot about Audi and Lucas Degrassi's chances. Scott, what else is new? Uh, well... Drivers, we we seem to have new drivers in Formula E, which is quite cool. Considering like the the level is already quite high, and then you actually you're just swapping out people like Marching Hua for Andre Lotterer, and uh, it just makes. I I did a thing a few weeks ago where I put the new drivers for this season onto where their uh, predecessor started in Hong Kong. And it was awesome because then you had like Le Mans 24-hour winners starting on the back row and DTM runners up at the back and stuff. And you just think, yeah, this is this is absolutely proper. So the new drivers, obviously, well, Alex Lynn made his debut in New York, but he's actually in full-time at DS Virgin now. Uh, Andre Lotter is at Technical Cheetah, your favourite team, Ed. Um, Eduardo As Mort- they are correctly known. <laughs> Eduardo Mortara has won the fight for the second Venturi seat alongside his Mercedes DTM teammate Mauro Engel. So if Macau does ever get onto the Formula E, oh, they're sorted. Calendar, one, he's Venturi won too, easy. Um, Luca Filippi, who I'm reliably, I was reliably informed before the Valencia test where I met him for the first time that he was a bit of a dude, and he is in, indeed a bit he's of a, a lovely dude. Bloke. A very lovely man, Neil Yarni, and a very oh, good driver yeah, as well. Um, very successful in categories like GP2. Yep, runner up. Showed well in his few uh, IndyCar in IndyCar. Um, Neil Yarni, also a very lovely bloke. Uh, he's at Dragon Racing. And Kamu Kobayashi, who uh, wasn't actually on the entry list. Uh, Tom Blonkfist was on the entry list to drive for Andretti this season. But Kobayashi will drive in Hong Kong for reasons that could probably be best filed under political and commercial. Well, there we go. But a good driver, Kobayashi. Yeah, yeah exactly. If you've got an XF1 driver coming in who was actually good and is someone who has been active and successful in something else so he's still operating at a very high level then that's that's very beneficial for the series especially because japan i think their tv deal is the most valuable that formula e has so it's very 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 convenient and very good for all parties that a japanese driver is signed for a team that has a major japanese sponsor (laughs) kobayashi probably doesn't qualify for this group i'm about to talk about but You've named a lot of drivers there who are associated with manufacturers that aren't yet in Formula E, but we know are coming. Is that what this is all about? Or have these guys done these deals sort of on their own? Depends if you ask the driver and the manufacturer or someone else. <laughs> um, yeah, Lotter and Yarni, obviously Porsche LMP1 drivers, or were Porsche LMP1 drivers up until a couple of weeks ago. Um, Lotter is 
done a deal to race for Tachita and Yanni's driving for Dragon. Obviously, the two independent teams in the in the championship, uh, not affiliated to to an OEM. Well, Dragon aren't anymore. They were at the time, but the Faraday Future thing they had's all gone down the toilet. Um, and Mortara is along with Engel racing at Venturi, which has been linked to uh, some kind of Mercedes tie-up. It's it's difficult to know exactly what's going on here. All sorts of rumours before. Uh, Mortara was announced alongside Engel at Venturi. There was chatter that Venturi was on the brink of doing some kind of deal with Mercedes or HWA, whether it would be powertrain supply for next season or whatever. But that's just been rumour up until now. And then there was also some talk about Porsche doing something with Dragon, but that was kind of not really substantiated. It was more just they had an LMP1 driver at Dragon. They had an LMP1 driver at Tachita. So it was an opportunity to go along to the test and put a couple of engineers in the garage to what, look how things are, are so done. So there, there are yeah, engineers uh, hanging around with yeah, these guys. Port, that was port. going to be my next question. It's one thing to send the driver and these are intelligent drivers who can come back and give good feedback to their, their employers, their regular employers, the manufacturers. But it's when you start sending some more brain power with them that we're really talking about potential benefits or a head start for these manufacturers yeah, that aren't here yet. Porsche's uh, openly admitted that they, they took advantage of the fact that they were allowed to send guests. So that's that's how they described them. They sent guests. Guests of the drivers. Uh, guests of the championship. So Formula E said, uh, you can have them here. You can go into the garage, see how things work. But apparently that's what Porsche did with Audi at Le Mans and in the WEC before they joined uh, in LMP1. They had... Um, they had uh, guys in the garages there. So it's obviously a very handy sort of like R&D mission. Um, so, it, I mean, it makes sense to do it because they're going to be on the back foot when they look at how badly Jaguar struggled last season coming into the series. And I've no doubt that the infrastructure at Mercedes and Porsche is a little bit more refined to motorsport than, than Jaguar was. But they were they were awful at the start of the year. And even though they improved, they still finished last Jaguar. So Mercedes and Porsche, they're going to come in and they're going to have no experience to everyone else's five seasons. So that The they... longer you wait to come in, the the more knowledge your rivals already have. Yeah, which they? is why there's this talk of HWA entering next season as a proxy Mercedes entry and maybe Porsche doing something, teaming up with another team. But Lotter is a guy who's had success in every category outside of Formula 1 and has even competed in a Grand Prix weekend in, back in 2014. And Yanni's a WEC champion and, and Le Mans winner. So... Mortar is a runner-up at DTM and like Macau legend as well, same as Engel. So you add in these guys and they're going to be at the back of the grid. Like With the exception of Lotterer, who's got a customer Renault powertrain in this Digita, I can't really see Venturi or or Dragon fighting for wins. So that just means like in the bottom half of your field, you're going to have these drivers with amazing CVs. It just sort of re- reinforces Formula E's reputation as a series that probably has the best best um, driver lineup outside of Formula 1 it's, it's got to be close to DTMs yeah, I think now. So, now well it's amazing if you look down the list there's there's no duds there there's drivers there with GP2 wins F3 wins F3 champions Le Mans everybody's pedigree, got pedigree world yeah. engine, you know, there's no drivers there who you'd say yeah they haven't haven't done a great deal or achieved a great deal and that's always a good sign of a of a health of a series because it means that you've mostly got professional drivers who are there on merit who were brought in to, to deliver the kind yeah, of Yeah, well, you expressed you know, your excitement so. at Philippi as a, as a guy who's got um, got good pedigree in championships like GP2 and, and IndyCar, but he was actually considered a bit of an underwhelming appointment when we found out that he was the guy who's replacing PK, which I think does him a bit of a disservice because I think he's one of those guys who has a lengthy stay in GP2, but his actual 
the teams he was with and the circumstances around his stay in GP2 don't actually do justice to, to how well he drove. So when you've got guys like him, a runner-up in GP2 and an, an IndyCar podium finisher as one of your, oh, maybe he's a bit underwhelming, that's a pretty good um, pretty good sign of the health of the category. But is that is that sustainable as we go on? Because you'd imagine that you know, if, if running costs start going up, are we then going to get into a situation where maybe some of the teams who don't have the big manufacturer back in, are they going to need to find budget to keep up with the, the arms race? I know you, you've talked about this a lot, Scott, that it's always one of those things that people are concerned about on the horizon of Formula E is, is there going to be a situation where the budgets do explode at some point? Because we've seen in other championships, such as you know Formula One is a great example, that if the costs do start to get out of control, one of the ways the teams have to respond to that is to find budget from elsewhere. And Formula E is in a luxurious position at the moment where it's not really having to do that. And that's how you get a great grid of drivers. Yeah, and the thing at the moment, which kind of makes me feel like it's not the Formula E don't care. Formula E make it very, very clear that keeping costs down is going to be their main focus point over the next few years. But when you look up and down the grid... At the moment, they don't really need to worry about it because no one's in that position where they need to find where or, or where they might risk becoming detached from a from a manufacturer. You've got Audi DS, which is Citroen's sister brand, Jaguar Venturi, which is a very well funded monogas team. Dragon, at the moment, you'd argue is is probably the most vulnerable. But then Edams is linked with Renault and will be linked with Nissan from next season when they take over. Neo is an ext- extremely well-funded Chinese organization. Tachita is exactly the same. Mahindra is very, very well financed and is a major uh, Indian Indian operation. And Andretti is, well, reputation speaks for itself in motorsport, but it's also going to be linked to BMW for future seasons. So it might be one of those things where they have a big brainstorm and go, well, I'm not actually sure how we stop costs spiraling out of control. And they look at the entry list and go, Maybe we don't need to. <laughs> Everyone's got money to throw around. And I know that's a really dangerous and sort of flippant way of looking at it, but that is kind of the way it is at the moment. It's a bit of a haven at the moment for a professional racing driver looking looking for a career. And there's good reasons for having good quality drivers. And this is what we're going to call on your experience here, Glenn. From what you learned from driving the DS Virgin Formula E car, how difficult is it really? How much do you have to think about? How unusual is the feel, of course, with all the, the weight at the back? Is it just uh, not especially quick single-seater or and therefore quite forgiving and quite easy? Or is there is there a lot the driver has to do? The driver has to do a lot. And what's different about it really is the, the mental challenge, the things you don't have to think about in comparison to a conventional single-seater and the things you do have to think about instead. So Scott can bring us up to speed on this a bit more, but very few of the teams have a, a gearbox that's got many gears in it. The, the DS powertrain that I used had three gears, but actually at the little French test track I was at, they said you can do the whole thing in second. So immediately you're taking away the need to change gear. And at first you think, okay, that's easier. I've also not got a clutch to get it away from a standing start in the pits or on the grid. And they did let me do a race start, and that was that was very straightforward. You You pull a paddle in, you put your foot down, you wait for 100% to appear on the dash, which it should do immediately. And then, obviously, when the lights go out, you let go of the paddle as quickly as you can. There's none of the, the sort of hand clutch art to it that you have in, say, a Formula One car. So things like that are much more straightforward. But it's all the other things you have to do in Formula E that you don't have in other championships. You know, the 
the way the way the energy is managed it's not just a case of oh do a bit of fuel saving like you might have to do in, with conventional engines it's it's constant and that's why you hear if you listen to the coverage you hear the drivers on the radio every lap giving a readout from their from their dashboard to inform the team of their energy usage and all these sort of things when I went out, that was one of the things I thought, I'm going to try to at least look every time I cross the line and just think, right, what number would I be reading out at this point? And I didn't do it once. I forgot every single time because I was already thinking about the next corner. I was already thinking about how to lift and coast properly, how to use the regen paddle before I hit the brakes. All those sort of things are fascinating, but those are all the elements you don't normally have in a racing car. So you don't have any more spare mental capacity than you do in a normal racing car and in terms of the speed it's only actually at the end of the straights there is a brief moment where you go oh i'm up to speed and i've stopped accelerating i'm not really going that quickly and but but at that point you're already starting to think well in that case start lifting and coasting because you're up to speed so your brain is incredibly active um and yet top end is the only time you really notice the lack of speed because an electric powertrain gives you a big punch at bottom end what was the longest run that you had in the car? It was about seven or eight laps. Did you get to experience the sort of having to like shuffle back, break bias and stuff as the battery temperature started to rise and that sort of thing? No, we didn't quite get that far. There were quite a few toys the team didn't let me play with. Uh, they ran me through what is a very complex diagram of their latest version of their steering wheel, which we weren't allowed to take pictures of. And I was just looking around the rest of it going, well, to be honest, I'm glad they're not giving me any more of these bits and pieces. And we did have... At one point, something happened um, that was technically my fault. Um, and Sam Berg came on the radio to me. He said, OK, switch this to this and then do that and then do that. And I was going, where, where is he talking about? And I found the bit he was talking about in the cockpit. I did what he said and it didn't work. And he said, oh, no, you've got to wait for it to go green before you switch it from this to this. And I was thinking, how the hell are they doing this in a race? And the big thing that Sam said to me afterwards was he said, it's one thing to get your head around it, driving around a, a relatively straightforward test track on your own where there's nothing to hit. He said, now try and do it on bumpy public roads where there are walls either side of you, very close. Uh, the car's skipping around on you because you've got more aggressive uh, settings on it for power delivery and braking and all that sort of thing. And he said, then imagine uh, Lucas Degrassi, Sebastian Boemi and Robin Frings and all these other guys in your mirrors. And I was thinking, well, I can imagine them lapping me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's, it is amazing. Like one of the things that I've... Well, you've I, driven the, the simulator, haven't you, Scott? So you've yeah. got a rough idea about this. Yeah, exactly. And I remember in that I, I I struggled to just sort of like nail the 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 performance of the car like over one lap. But the, in, when I did those, that was all about basically just trying to work out how to drive the car on the simulator and go as quickly as possible. And I still really, really struggled. It, it's weird. Every driver I've spoken to when they come in and obviously even now you've four guys who've not four or five guys who've not really driven the car very much and you speak to them and they say oh we don't have the same like audible cues and stuff like that to go off and actually in race trim obviously you're surrounded by other drivers that's the other thing about formula e is the racing is really good so it's not just like you are driving around with guys putting you under pressure you've got people lunging you and, and stuff and stuff like that and then as the stint goes on this is one of the things that i find particularly interesting is because of the way the um, thermal management of the battery works once it hits a certain point it will then um, trigger a gradual switch off of energy harvesting so that will be a sliding scale down to nothing so obviously during that phase they've got to sort of adjust the brake bias because it's all the while you're getting that regen and you're getting additional rearward braking from something else you've got the brake bias thrown to the front but then obviously as that tail is off 
you've got to wind the brake bias back because otherwise you'll go into the next hairpin, lock up and go straight on. And the drivers don't know when this switch off will come. They know roughly what the, the temperature of the battery is, but they don't know exactly when that moment will be. So you've got to try and manage all these things going on at once and, and try and sort of have a, have a motor race at the same time, which is quite an incredible challenge. The regen was actually something I found fascinating because they explained they explained to me how to use it, and I'm thinking, well, you know, what should I expect? Because I know I know from watching Formula E and from talking to a few of the drivers that if it's set up at its most aggressive, it can make the rear of the car quite lively uh, in the braking phase. So I'm thinking, are they really going to let me yank on this paddle that's going to make the car step out? But they'd made the settings quite benign for a lot of the parts of the car. You know, the, the actual. Uh, chassis side of things but also the powertrain but it was great feeling over a run if you left it for a few laps to build up that energy you could really feel the difference from early in the run like the first time they got on the radio and told me to try it it didn't do a lot it was just I'd already lifted and coasted for a bit and it was just a first little bit of braking before you use the pedal closer to the corner but later in the run once I built up some more uh, energy to use to deploy at that point it, it was it was a, it was really strong. Like you could really feel the effect. I was thinking if you were managing this properly, it's a that's a big that's a big toy to use that you don't really have in other racing series. And again, when you've got things like that to worry about, the fact that you're not changing gear is irrelevant, really, because you've still got a lot of things going on on the approach to a corner. And Ed asked me earlier, how did it feel to drive around? Because I've I've basically talked about all the powertrain side of things there, but how does it handle and in terms of how heavy it is, you know, there's so much weight at the back of the car. Um, and I felt that you really noticed that in the slow corners, which is mostly what you have on a Formula E calendar. A lot of the street circuits are very slow corners. And you have to be quite aggressive with the front of the car because if you're not really positive in your driving style, the rear of the car is just going to labour behind you and that is just going to give the front nothing to work with, basically. So it's really up to the driver and, of course, the team to set the car up in the right way. But you've got to you've got to force the car in front end of the car in and say, right, this is where we're going. Bring that back end round as quickly as you can, because then you know that you're going to hit the power again and you're going to have some good sort of oomph out of those tight corners. But that's got to be difficult because you want to try and overcome the fact the rear end's very lazy with that aggressive rotation. But of course, because it's so heavy at the back, if you over rotate, it's going to punish you far more than an orthodox racing car would. yeah i thought this at the time i was thinking i was really glad that it never it never properly broke away from me like i had a couple of gentle slides of the rear in some of the easier corners the types of corner you only get on conventional racetracks not street circuits i thought oh, i can feel it moving but that did make me think if it went away here i wouldn't have a hope of catching it because be so much weight would already have this momentum that's going away from me i'm not going to catch that i'm not talented enough and I don't, i'm not sure you know I would react too late. There's, there's been several um, quite uh, high speed saves in Formula E when they just sort of because they've got it right on the limit and then it starts. Oh, it looks to go. great when the proper yeah. drivers yeah. are doing it. <laughs> exactly, it's like I think I guess it's less terrifying for them. But when that when it goes, it goes in quite a big way, and then obviously you've got um, you don't really have much runoff on street circuits, so the consequences are actually quite severe, which is actually another good thing about the championship. And I think it's very very easy for people to underestimate the level of ability required, the challenge going on it's not just a, a slow race series notwithstanding the fact the cars aren't actually that slow well the gt really. the gt3 levels of pace i think like around donington park and you wouldn't watch a gt3 race and go oh these cars are a bit slow it's because of what they're designed to look like and, and imitate that you look at that and you go yeah, oh, it's a, a slow point. it's a slow single seater but it's not a slow car if that makes sense and i think over time we were just talking about the strength of the the grid and the depth that you have in that field now and i think 
the longer we have that for, the more people will appreciate the talent that's required because you're not going to have a bunch of six or seven slow guys, if you want to call them that, that are going to be the guys running around at the back. When you've got a grid that is absolutely full of proper talent and you can see that there are guys who aren't as good at driving these cars as some of the guys who are right at the front, you can start to appreciate that driver talent is a differentiator and that, therefore, these cars are challenging to drive. The way I see it is people compare it a little bit to sort of Formula Renault pace, somewhere between Formula Renault and Formula 3. But if you took a slightly overpowered Formula Renault grid, put 20 professional race drivers in that and then chuck them all at Macau, I'd love to watch that race. And that's basically what Formula E is. It's just a little bit electric. Well, there we go. That's going to go on the poster. It's just a little bit electric. <laughs> so, Scott, Hong Kong, what should we expect from this weekend? A very, very close qualifying battle. Um, if Audi get to the front of that, my expectation is that that they should have a pace advantage. But Lucas Degrassi and Sebastian Buemi both think that there could be six or seven different teams fighting for wins on any given weekend if they hook everything up. It's the first round. This is where people make their mistakes, don't have everything quite in check. So if anything's going to be a bit sort of wild, a bit leery, it's going to be this one. The first weekend rarely goes smoothly for everybody in this championship, doesn't it? No, exactly. Like last season, you, had, you went from um, the next EV team a year ago had been the slowest car by miles in the second season massive overhaul of the powertrain and they qualified first and second for the opening race of the next season so so yeah it's um it's uh anything can happen in formula e and it usually does there's, what, there's what, another cliche for the poster <laughs> one of the great things about formula e and scott and i were talking about this before we started recording was that because the technology is all so new you don't have the straightforward situation where whoever's quick in qualifying is also quick in the race. You know, qualifying and race trim are incredibly different uh, beasts for the teams to get on top of. Some powertrains are very good at one or the other. So you quite often end up with a great situation where in race trim, you're not lining them up in order when uh, when the race starts. So you're always going to have guys who are slipping back through the pack. You're going to have quicker cars that are trying to make their way through. It's difficult on a street circuit You've got a pit stop to factor in as well, so there's a strategic element. And it does mean the races are always incredibly busy, I think. Yeah, like last season you had at the start with um, the the two DS Virgin guys, Lopez and Bird, hit each other on the exit of turn one, and then down at turn three, Degrassi got caught up in a concertina and broke his front wing and broke the rear wing of someone else. And then there was uh, a, a crash towards the end of the first stint that um, ended up taking out uh, Nelson Piquet or delaying Nelson Piquet when he was leading the race. And then it triggered this full course yellow that allowed Degrassi to go from 18th to second. It's just, it's just mad. That's the that's the capacity that Formula E has. Like a good a, a a good race is a great race, and an average race is a good race in Formula E. So come on then, Scott, put your money where your mouth is. Who's going to win the championship? Uh, Degrassi. I've got to stick with my convictions from pre-season testing and, and, and say that he, he'll have the edge on Daniel Apt over the season and I think that powertrain will be the, the best over the course of the year. And who do you think is going to be his biggest rival? Sebastian Buemi. They've not got that big an advantage and we know how good Buemi is. And that's a lovely little rivalry that Formula E's had sort of simmering away for, for a couple of years now. So it's quite good that it's continuing. Glenn Freeman? I'm going for Buemi as champion. I think Degrassi did a great job to win a championship. Buemi probably should have last season. And I reckon uh, roles reverse this time. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go for Lucas Degrassi, basically, because I'm just following whatever Scott says, because I, I hang on his every formulary word and respect his analysis and opinion. Yours less so, Glenn. So I, uh, always, more, always more, more for you, Edstraw, more for you. Well, exactly, exactly. If, if it comes to the end of the season and you're wrong, then, of course, you, you will be shamed on this very podcast. Right. I usually am, so it's fine. 
Well, with that, we'll let Scott Mitchell head off on his long flight to Hong Kong. So thanks for your time and insight, Scott, and also to Glenn Freeman. You can follow all the latest from this weekend's Hong Kong Formula E round on autosport.com. Remember to check out our Plus subscriber area for in-depth features, columns, and interviews on Formula E, Formula One, and the whole world of motorsport. You'll also find an in-depth preview in the Thursday edition of Autosport magazine. I'd also like to suggest to everyone to, on Sunday, December the 3rd, that's this Sunday, the Oscars of Motorsport is taking place, the Autosport Awards. We'll have live coverage of that on autosport.com and motorsport.com on Sunday evening and it'll also be found on motorsport.tv so we'll have all the big names in motorsport there hailing the the great triumphs of the year that's going to be a, a great night as it always is so thanks very much for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.